Hello and welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am joined as always by my wonderful co-host Tom. Hello. And we are back with Early Summer from 1951, another classic from master filmmaker Yasujiro Ozu. We've gone through quite a few films now, enough films to say that I am... I would say I'm familiar, very familiar with his work now. Um, and uh, Out of the ones that we've seen so far, what would you say is your favourite Ozu film? Oh, Tokyo Story, yeah. It's like the culmination of all his work. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's... But, but you know what? Early Summer, 1951, Early Summer, is... Um, it's so similar to Tokyo Story. In fact, I think... Am I right in saying that there's like a loose trilogy going on with Early Summer, Tokyo Story... And the companion piece, more or less, to Early Summer, uh, Late Spring. Yes, it's it's a trilogy uh, following the character of uh, Noriko. And uh, mm-hmm. it's interestingly, we've kind of approached it backwards, where we've started with the third one, now we've seen the second, and I think in like 50 to 100 spines we're going to see the third. Like the first one, I should say. Yes. Well, well, that's that's not our fault. That's, no, uh, no, that's, well, let's that's the way the spine criterion. numbers fall. <laughs> Yeah, but have you seen, I wanted to ask you, have you seen Late Spring? I have not. Okay, um, because we're doing Spine Number and, you know, I was researching this and everyone's saying, well, there's a companion piece to it featuring Noriko, the same character, and I felt that, that I'm kind of, we were more or less going to miss out on a little bit of of scope here because we haven't seen, you know, the first in the Loose Trilogy, so... Um, it's going to be, it's, I don't think that it's a really a massive problem, but no, it's no. interesting that we're tackling it in reverse order in any case. It's yeah, it's true that we're like, you know, there is that happenstance if we could be missing out on something, but it, and, but by going backwards, we are having that thing of like, it's adding a level of sweetness to the films, like the, especially the bittersweet ending of um, kind of of early summer. We're like, no, it's it's fine. We see where she ends up and where she like goes with her new family and her new life. So it's, it kind of adds this nice like, oh, it, it's fine though <laughs> at the end for us. But um, and mm. each of the films kind of works as its own standalone story as well within this kind of arc of this person's life. So. It's fine. It, it reminds me of like the um, uh, the Four Hundred Blows trilogy, like the quartet of films there, like Love on the Run, Stolen Kisses, um, the Truffaut films. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to be watching them as a you know traditional trilogy. So no, it's just it's okay. following. It's okay. Yeah, this character throughout. Uh, but I did do a little bit of research on late spring. Just because I was kind of curious anyway, and, and the fact that it followed the same character, I wanted to, to know what it was about. But mm-hmm. it's still about Noriko, uh, you know, in her mid-twenties. In this film, she's 28 or something like this. Um, and she's still in her mid-twenties in, in this other film. And everyone's saying, well, maybe you should get married. So it sounds, sounds like there's a kind of reiteration going on with Ozu films. And that seems to be a common theme. He likes to talk about the family unit. Uh, a lot. Mm. I mean, even the the title, late spring and early summer, uh, they're kind of reminiscent of, you know, a period in in time, as in, you know, they've got the, you've got the seasons, but you've also got period of times 
periods of time within people's lives as well. And yeah, you know, they're kind of snapshots of of Noriko's characters, Noriko the character's life. Um, Not just that as well, but he um, Ozu like also likes to kind of use these family stories and these kind of quaint, small, insular tales to kind of paint a picture about uh, issues that are going on in the grander scheme of society post-war in particular in Japan, which is super interesting stuff there. Yeah, and I, I kind of... It's really interesting because this is a post-World War II film mm-hmm. and we were talking about Kurosawa's uh, The Lower Depths, you know, a week or two ago. And yeah. that's also a post-World War II film in, in Japan. And it's a response to that or like, you know, at least the director's r- ruminating on this on these pretty heavy themes but they're so different where one is little depths is talking about it's revisiting a 1901 story about poverty and the slums and it just feels like he just wanted to go deep inside you know the the brutality of of society Mm. this one is i mean it's ozu it's it's so lovely but at the same time there's i always think that everyone has these beautiful smiles in his films, but underneath there's so much tension and drama and kind of a, a sadness as well. But yeah, and, and an angst as well, I would say. Like, just yeah. there's, there's something brewing underneath the surface that we, the audience, can see and understand what's happening, but none of the characters are addressing it. And yeah, I think, I think like, yeah, yeah, the you, ultimate of that, that is like a Japanese, story. Yeah. Do you think that's a Japanese cultural thing i i just couldn't it, speak to that i'm not that kind of you know familiar enough to make no i suppose not like but, that but um from what i've seen like in terms of representation within cinema i would say yes to some degree like the idea that it's it's a very proper in, in like using these ozu films as an example it's the 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 ideals of an older generation trying to impose a certain type of behavior onto a younger generation and them not them kind of being complicit and going along with it to a certain degree but not following through to the fullest extent and it's that kind of level i think yeah that's why i think the major theme is uh you know change and breaking from tradition tradition is difficult for everybody Mm. um but inevitable and so ozu is time and time again in each of his films discussing what that change means for the family unit, for society at large, for the individual. Yeah, and wonderfully so, uh, in particular, women, which is great to see. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And Noriko, uh, who has a job, she's... I mean, it's the 1950s, and I was was struck by the technology of the time. Everybody's got their typewriter and all that sort of stuff. And and, uh, the times are changing. It's not so much that you would just marry into... Um, a, a you know a nice family with heaps of money and the and the you know the the husband would support you. Yeah. More and more women in the fifties everywhere across the world were getting more and more jobs, and a lot of them you know using typewriters. So it's a nice kind of relatable thing. I would I mean I know my mum was exactly like that. She was a typewriter, and so was my grandma. And. Um, yeah, so it's the idea of you can't have... You don't necessarily need to get married anymore, mm. but there's still this drive from the uh, 
from the uncles and the parents and whatnot. The, the but, traditions uh, are still kind of, the, you know, what is expected of you within society is kind of still being thrust upon people and, you know, Ozu's finding it interesting to examine that and be like, is that something that's worthwhile? Is that something that should be continued? How are people reacting and kind of uh, dealing with it in a modern context? Hmm. Um, which yeah. I guess this is probably a point where we should maybe do the synopsis because we haven't done that yet. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> we, we have to put that in at the start. Put no, that in the start. no, it's fine because we've been doing... Bro- it's fine. I'll, we'll put it in now because it, we've just been essentially doing broad strokes about Ozu in general, not getting into the nitty gritty of the specifics of this film per se. But the okay. criterion on the back of the box, it says... The Mamiya family is seeking a husband for their daughter Noriko, but she has an she has ideas of her own. Played by the extraordinary Setsuko Hara, Noriko impulsively chooses her childhood friend, at once fulfilling her family's desires and tearing them apart. A seemingly simple story, Early Summer is one of Yasujiro Ozu's most complex works, a nuanced examination of life's changes across three generations. Yeah, man. Mm. That's right. Uh, Setsuko Hara, who plays Noriko. Yes. I think she's, I guess you would call her the the complete star of the show. Everyone else does a really good job, but she is she is remarkable. And I, and I understand that she was nearly not in this film. Uh, it being the sequel to Late Spring. Uh, Ozu was like, yeah, well, obviously I want her to play Noriko again because she's awesome. Um, but the studios wanted another actress and he, he refused to uh, make the film without her. Damn straight. But she does... Yeah, damn straight. She does such a good job of putting on that, that smile. I think it's all about the smile. Oh, She does such she, a good job yeah. of putting on the smile and then underneath there is just so much going on. She um, is incredible in this film, and I mean, obviously, we'd seen her previously in Tokyo Story, but she just the sec she she's one of those like actresses that as soon as she walks on screen, it just lights up the frame, and you can't help but connect with her instantly and love watching her perform. It she's so good in this film. Yeah. And, and I'm uh, not sure if the, the like the enjoyment comes from the idea that like. Uh, where Noriko starts as a character in this film is so kind of independent and she's rebelling against the family. Like, the whole push initially is, you know, you're 28 years old. Why aren't you married? Why aren't you married? You're too old now. You should be getting married. And she's just, like, essentially like, fuck y'all, I'm good. (laughs) But she's doing it in such a kind of laid-back, chilled, like, yeah, it's fine kind of way. And you're just like, yeah, you go, girl. (laughs) It's it's kind of an it's an odd character arc almost because she she's she seems to be okay with it more or less. It's mm. not till the end where she, it just kind of takes a sharp turn and and she goes, you know what? I'm I ain't going to marry this golfer businessman that I I've never met before and I'm only seen him once on an image on yeah. a photo. I'm going to marry my friend because, you know, well, I don't know I've if I him my whole life and I know I can get along with and I relate. And my, like, I love the little part where she says, when I spoke with his mother, I knew instantly that, mm. you know, it was like, she's like, I knew I was positive that this was a right decision to marry this man. And that line hits even stronger knowing where 
we go, she goes as a character with Tokyo Story being the only child that actually gives a shit about the parents. <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. so sweet. It's an, it's really, um, it's really interesting coming from the early fifties that she's not only rejecting the old traditions of marrying into a prosperous family and have a husband that earns a lot of money. She's not even transitioning into a, an idea of marriage that should be true love. It's just, she's kind of an oddball in mm. that she wants, she just wants an arrangement that's comfortable and, you know, good for her. And that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you need what everyone would call, you know, a completely true loving marriage. Mm. Um, well, it, it's that so wonderful it's a, thing. It's an of, interesting case study. Yeah. It, it's just essentially examining, like, it, it's a wonderful way. Like, she's not, she, at no point does she shout, yell, or get annoyed with everyone. She's just subtly leaning back and just being like, it's it's 1950, I'm a grown woman, I can make my own choices. Yeah. But even the even the resistance that she gets towards the end, once she kind of comes out and says, you know, I might, I might, I'm thinking of doing it my way, actually, after all. Everybody's so... That's why I mentioned before, there's like a Japanese culture. Everyone's so... They're kind of... Even though some people can get very disgruntled and upset, there's always this calm this calm feeling of I'm upset, but I still have to show the utmost respect for everybody. Yeah. Um, which, which I assume is that, I mean, like, you know, you don't see that as much in say Trump's America, for example, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, respect is a dead I mean? like yeah. uh, <laughs> I don't want to shit on I don't want to shit on America, but you know, th- there's a comparison to be made. Mm. Um, <laughs> But the the anyway the the point I was, I was trying to make here is that because of these kinds of things, Ozo films are just always a pleasure and calming experience. Yeah. Um, and I think also I mentioned that he's kind of seems to reiterate. I want to come back to this reiteration thing because it's mm-hmm. for a director that has made so many films about this more or less the same thing. Do you think that? He he just recycles ideas, or re- or tries to just reinvent the same idea. Or does he? Do you think that he actually has scope? Let's just look at the you know Tokyo Story. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I I think it's a bit. I think there's definitely scope um, because while the the majority of his films all tackle a very similar theme. He's tackle- they're being tackled in a very different way. Like, uh, mm-hmm. comparing this one, Early Summer, to Tokyo Story, um, I mean, it works well because they're two and three in a trilogy, but Early Summer is talking about the idea, or it's like a contemplation on a woman's life and, you know, a family in general in, in you know, post-war Japan. And then, you know, it's, it's that younger generation being having ideals imposed upon them from an older generation and then you cut to Tokyo's story which is like the progression of that of what happens when the older generation gets old old and the younger generation is now the in charge they're the people in charge and they are not they don't have the time for the older generation it's that he's like taking these similar things but as they progress through time and society and like where you know examining where everyone's at at certain points in time, I guess. 
but yeah, that's that's right. But even you know, say like say Good Morning, right? Hmm. About the kids that want the television, and there's yeah. this new this new fantastic item that's come on the scene called a television, and you know, the different generations look at it in a completely different way. There's a there's still a, a repetition there, mm-hmm. uh, and I and I think. What's really interesting is, as you said, there's there's so much scope, even though there's a repetition of ideas. But then if you're talking about generations growing up and repeating the same things, and or, if that's true, yeah, then that would come across in Ozu films. So, mm. uh, But I, I think, I mean, there, I think there's there's, definitely, there definitely is that. There's like the progression or the... Or kind of, I guess, tackling the same ideal or the same themes from... Different perspectives. Like, with Good Morning, it's from the perspective of the youngest generation than early summer. You've got that kind of middle and, you know. So, I think that's okay. where the scope and the kind of broadening of that idea comes in because it's like... And it, it, help, it helps add to the universality of the themes that he's tackling because it is... They're so universal and they can be spread across multi-generations and multi-storylines and different characters and settings and scenarios because it is just such a important thing that everyone can relate to and obviously mm. he enjoys kind of tackling it and discussing it yeah well it was the same with the what was that french film i watched recently uh the comedy french co- oh, a woman is a woman a woman is a woman we watched a woman is a woman and it's got the same ideas of of uh generations repeating themselves mm. kind of destined to do that i, I don't think that Anyway, I'm not sure if it's a fully formed thought that I have, but no, no, it's it's at least it's the generations a repeat themselves, and they yeah. they have the same problems. They have the same every basically when you grow up, everyone has to figure out how am I going to deal with um, the new world, and there's always going to be a new world because you know you're just old now. Yeah, and it's whether or not you grow and adapt, or you kind of step aside and let other people take the place or you know whatever you do mm-hmm. um yeah which i i think is you know in tokyo story it's it's a heartbreaking kind of pushing to the side which is the real sad sadness of tokyo story and this one i think he kind of almost plays it for a bit of a laugh and some irony in that the whole film is, like, at least the first, you know, half to two-thirds of the film is Noriko's family and her friends and her employer, everyone constantly at her, you're 28, you need to get married, you're, you're a spinster now, you're 28. And then, you know, her family has picked out this suitor for her, like, this is your ideal husband, this guy's going to be perfect with family, this is who we've chosen. And she says, no, I'll get married, like, I'll do what you want me to do, but it's on my terms and I'm going to pick the guy. And then when she says that to her family and like, you know, it's going to be, you know, my old friend, the family's reaction is like they are at a funeral. Yeah. They're, they're sitting around morosely drinking and essentially mourning the fact that she fucked up, (laughs) but it's, but she's doing exactly what they want her to do. But it's yeah. not. But it's with her own independence. That new kind of, new generational kind of twist on the you know what you're supposed to do. It's already partially a funeral for them because all they could really get was this forty year old golfer that's 
not the best suitor in the world. They even admit it. It's not the best suitor in the world, but it's the best no. we can get for Noriko. Mm. So, but, th- but then when she so finds someone who that is idea so of- perfect for her, they reject it and they're like, well, fuck, man. Like, he's no 40-year-old golfer. <laughs> He's a doctor. Wasn't he a doctor? He's a doctor, the but it's, a it's doctor. but it's because he already has a kid. Is the issue? And Noriko's yeah. like, "Are you kidding? I've been living with you guys and your kids for years. I love kids. Like, what? Why is that an issue?" And they're like, "Because he's unpure." <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, he's a widower. Yeah, which was no no one's fault. <laughs> no. But anyway, but that's that's you know. It still it still applies though. Um, what's really fascinating is this is a how old is this film? This is seventy years old. Yes, that's a fucking old film. Yeah, and although I'm looking at it's it might not be the same specifically about marriage these days in you know in Japan in Australia in America and in, in basically all of Europe. It still applies. It's still there's still these. Parents and grandparents will always resist some aspect of the next generation's life. Now oh, we yeah. have like global warming, for example, and the people, you know, young people want to make a change, and some of the older people are resisting that change. So, yeah, it's truly timeless stuff, and I think um, I think it's remarkable that you can have these small stories that can be so meaningful when you apply it to. You know, 70 years later. Mm. And, and that's the simplicity and the wonderfulness of Ozu films is that he's tackling the, you know, heavy things, but he's doing it in such a simple, light way that he's not necessarily hitting you over the head with this whole, you know, generational issues and the growth and the change in society, but it, it's there. And it's... He's getting that message across by telling just lovely warm, enjoyable as hell stories about a family. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, needless to say, I always... Uh, Cole watched this with me. Mm-hmm. Every time I say, I'm going to watch a Nozu film, she's on the couch. Yeah. Um, I don't, and I, I think don't that's wh- because of the... Go on. Why do you think that, like, why do you think it is that, like, reaction to an Ozu film? Like, you know, we get, we get excited for them and we, we love watching them, but it's one, I, I know a lot of people, if you were just to put one of them on, they'd be like, kind of, huh? What, why? Nothing's happening here. It's very slow mm. and it's very contemplative and there's no real story. What, what's going on? <laughs> Especially yeah. modern audiences, well, I suppose. That's right. Well, Cole, Cole's watched a bunch of the Criterion. Mm. So she's used to slow. And she actually likes slow. Yeah. She likes a slow movie. Um, but also the first film we watched of his was Good Morning, which is a great, probably the best place to start with his films because it's, it's so it's funny so and fun. so lovely and quaint. Yeah. And yeah. then from but there also, going to Tokyo Story is like, okay, now you can see the his masterpiece, like where he, you know, goes. And then, you know, we're now jumping back and forth in his filmography. But yeah, but also if you... If you let it, it is slow, but I sit down and I watch. And if you let it, it can create such uh It's almost like a meditation where you... I think it's because of the compositions that he uses. That there's like a lot of one-point perspective. Uh, there's a lot of attention to detail with frames within frames and, and blocking. And 
The, the tatami shots again. <laughs> the tatami shots, exactly. The, there's, the fact that there's really no camera movement, everything's very still. Yeah. I think there was three shots in this film that were um, moving shots on dollies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 his only them... cr- and his only crane shot in his entire career. Oh, is that the bar- one over the Bali at the end? Yeah. Oh, the yeah. When there's a when uh, Noriko and her sister-in-law are at the beach, and it's like that beautiful oh, crane yeah. shot that raises. Oh, up. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was fantastic. Cole, that whole Cole scene is just that, so beautiful. Like. It's cool how the only two there's there's the three shots I said that are, that are moving. There's the end shot where they're kind of moving over the Bali fields. By the, by the small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's two other shots, and one of them is uh, on a pier with the two, um, the two kids, and the other one is Narika and her sister on the beach. Yeah. So the only times you ever see a movement is when two people are alone in seclusion, kind of stepping outside of the family to yeah. think about what's happened. Yeah, and uh, I mean that final shot as well. Not actually having anyone necessarily in the frame, and it is just that coasting dolly shot on tracking shot on the um, on the barley fields. It's you know obviously the signifying of her moving away, and you know. yeah, yeah. So the absence of her is important in that shot. Yeah, so I think that's why they're they're so wonderful to watch. There's. There's the themes that you can get get on. You can have like a, an engaging drama while not being too distressed at all, and on a technical level, you can just really appreciate the beauty on the on it, in, in every single frame. There's the pillow shots with the lovely uh, birds in the cages. Yeah, which I was trying to read into that a little bit. I mean, are they, are they supposed to be representative of the people in the house? Or I, I mean, it, sure. it's a real on the nose of Noriko, I feel like, you know, she's trapped in a cage, you know, the cage being her family and, you know, the societal thing, uh, pressures that are put upon her and she's wanting to be free and make her own decisions. Like, it's a bit on the nose, yeah. but it it's works a bit on the nose. It's, the, it's kind of not yeah. really a pillow shot at that point. You know, it's kind of more informing the character's feelings, so it's less of a pillow shot and more of an actual shot, you know what I mean? It, it kind of works both ways, because he's taken his time with so many pillow shots leading up to that, that it, it kind of just melts into one of those, of like, this is just window dressing, and a yeah. beautiful little quiet moment for us to have, but at the same time it does have that extra layer that works with the character, which is nice. Mm. Uh, if anyone... I mean, we've talked about... This is, again, a reiteration with Ozu, his films himself, but our podcast is always the same, where it's like, you've got to explain the tatami shot, you've got to explain the pillow shot. Yeah. Uh, tatami shot is the tatami mats they sit on. You have the camera position so that you're kind of at eye line with the people sitting down on tatami mats and the pillow, it, pillow it, shots. It, it places you, the shots. audience, directly in with the characters. Yeah. Yeah, and on that note, actually, I love how he, he shoot, shoots a conversation and the camera's always within the two yeah. people talking. And, you're, and so you're really inside that moment. There's a lot of other... I was watching Moneyball um, for the first time a couple of days ago and there's when, when the coach is having discussions with all of the managers and whatnot, the shots are always behind the, the camera, uh, behind yeah. the shoulder. So you're kind of like a fly on the wall kind of spying. Whereas in this film, it's like you're right inside the conversation. I really like that. Yeah. Ozu invites you into the worlds of his characters. He, he wants mm. you to be a part of it. It's yeah, and then, and then the pillow shot is just the you put you put shots of random stuff in the building, um, some clothes on the line, whatever. How about it might an be amazing landscape a of a train scene. slowly going past? 
Yeah, that was that was lovely. fucking loved those shots. <laughs> yeah, and that's just to break the scene. You get like a kind of a small. It's like going. It's like uh, it's like you're at a, a meeting and you get to you have a take a like a work meeting and you go outside for a, for a bit of air and then come back in. Mm. Or it, it also just adds such wonderful atmosphere. It's like they're not necessarily used to set up location or anything like that. Or it, it's just like here's just something loveliness. Let's just, yeah, give you some atmosphere. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I mean, I wrote the, my note down when I think it was that beautiful, wide landscape shot of the train slowly heading into Tokyo. Um, I just could not shake the feeling and get it out of my head with all the pillow shots and everything in this film. And then what would then go on to be the themes and the story of it. It reminds me so much of a Ghibli film. Yeah, but Ozu, yeah, I mean, Miyazaki's it's, it's, kind of copied, copied Ozu's, not yeah. copied, inspi- heavily inspired by him. Exactly, and, so they and have this, the same feel yeah. about them. Very much so. How it is, it it's just they are like live action Ghibli films from the you know thirties, forties, and fifties. Yeah. Definitely, it's like um, I'm reminded most of stuff like uh, My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. How? Yep. In, in that film, there's so much attention to detail on how the kids move and you make them as real as possible. And yeah. the same thing in, in Ozu films, the kids are so, they're so real. It's like, uh, it's like they're not even actors. They're just, she's, he's just popped a camera inside a house and you're just getting like the true life of a family. Yeah. Which the is kids like, so, yeah. Like a good morning is like the prime example of that because it is all about the kids, but in this one, I, uh, like, wrote so many notes about the two brothers. Like, they just cracked me up so much. And they were, like... Anytime they're on screen together, it's just so lovely. Like, with... Like, the grand, uh, the great uncle, like, always giving the candy every time the kid says, I love you, <laughs> to him. And he's, like, yeah, and using the, it to his advantage. And then, and the kid, you know, and then they're wondering you. if he's deaf. <laughs> and, like, the older brother gets the younger brother to go up to him and call him an idiot to see if he reacts. Yeah. <laughs> The, Such- uh, ch- cheeky kids yeah um, cheeky kids in Ozu films cheeky kids in Miyazaki films and then of course like that leads us to the ultimate uh, dad yelling line I've heard in a film in years which is don't kick food <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny and so lovely yeah yeah I mean it's a great film there's I don't even care if it's if it's reiteration um it's just so... Every single Ozu film I've seen has just been fucking amazing. I can't really remember with Tokyo Story and Good Morning what the music was like in those films off the top of my head. But this one, it was music box music. Okay. That just... It, it sounded like a wind-up music box and it just instantly... And he uses it very kind of sparingly as well and uses it to kind of punctuate scenes and add mood and it's just um, that music box sound to it just instantly you're like oh okay yeah we're we're in good hands nothing bad's gonna happen we're just gonna it's just gonna be a sweet lovely tale Mm. it it gives you that the warm fuzzies instantly yeah yeah all all the soundtracks are like that very it's just always relaxing Mm. um I don't actually remember the the soundtrack. 
at all. I didn't. I didn't take note of that. Yeah, there, there's not much of it, but there, what is there? It is like a wind-up music box, like really soft, plinking kind of lovely tunes. Okay. Hmm. Um. I don't have many more uh, notes here. Yeah, n- neither do I. I'm kind of. I think we've kind of breezed through this one relatively quickly. Um. I mean, I've got a great little quote from Ozu himself that we could kind of end the discussion on, if, if you're up for that. Mm-hmm. So sure. according to Ozu, the concept of the film required an unusual approach to story and plot structure. As he wrote, I wanted in this picture to show a cycle, uh, to show a life cycle. I wanted to depict mutability. It was, I was not interested in action for its own sake. And, I was n- <laughs> and I've never worked so hard in my life. I didn't push the action at all, and the ending, in consequence, should leave the audience with a poignant aftertaste. So essentially, he's saying like he he just wanted to let life unfold, and if action didn't come naturally, he wasn't going to try and force it. He was just going to let things happen. And you know, mm-hmm. some people might find films like that boring, but you know, or slow, but. It's help. It's what really makes the contemplative nature and the slice of life come through in his work, and it just it makes it stand out. Yeah, there's a, there's a, a few moments where it's the, you know, I think there's like a the, the parents are sitting down in a park, and there's a balloon. Someone, some kids lost a balloon, and they're kind of pondering. You know, Noriko's going, and you know, it was a good time, but the family feels like they're breaking up, and it's just a, a long. It's a very long shot of them just eating sandwiches together. Yeah. And and you, they're thinking about, obviously, the, what's happening to the family, and you're thinking about the same thing. And it's great how he, Ozu just lets the shot really drag on so you can just... You get the time to think about what they might think about. Yeah. And he's not so forcing anything. It's almost anything. like you get to... Yeah. You get to inhabit uh, their minds when you do those kinds of shots, yeah. uh, you get to really explore it. It's yeah. He's, he's really good filmmaker. Yes. Very good filmmaker. <laughs> Thumbs up on Ozu. <laughs> I like Ozu. Yeah. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, like, like we said, I get, I mean, that's really about all I've got for this one. It's, it's a beautiful little film. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, yeah. I, I think I'd like to revisit it when we do, you know, in, in whatever spine number it is, 100 from now, or whatever it is, when we do late spring. Yeah. Uh, then I think we can have a proper a proper discussion. Yeah. Kind of see you know the origins I mean? like, I of the, the Noriko we... and where this all goes. and Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a short episode, I think, relatively short. Uh, but but there's still more to be talked about. Yeah, I figure if, we come, if we're coming in at 40 minutes, we're fine. Like, you know, we're usually around 40 to 45, so that's that's all right. Um, in terms of trivia for this one, all I have really that I haven't kind of discussed already is that the film won the best film at the 1952, uh, Kinema Junpo Awards, which is the Japanese Academy Awards, essentially. But that was really about it in terms of, uh, trivia. There wasn't much out there for this one. There's not, there's not a lot of information, um, about this film out there yeah, because I was doing research and... Uh, you know, Ebert did a an interesting article, but that was more. It was actually more on late spring. It's I mean, it mentions early summer, but it was more on late spring. It's still yeah. an interesting read. 
and he and he doesn't think Ozu reiterates at all. He thinks that he's just fully exploring multiple ideas when he whenever he does film. So, hmm. um, so but anyway, the there is not a lot of strangely enough there's not a lot of information about this film out there yeah like i i read um david boardwell who is an amazing writer uh his essay um included in the criterion edition and it didn't really do much for me it kind of was just you know reiterated what i already thought about the film which was kind of nice but it's like yeah there's no not much out there and i could i tried to track down it spent like an hour trying to hunt for it and couldn't find um, the other essay in the booklet is an essay about Ozu as a filmmaker by Jim Jarmusch, which I would have loved to have read. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I, because I mean, obviously Jarmusch is heavily inspired by Ozu, like that similar kind of slow pacing, like slice of life. We're just going to let things unfold, not force the action. It's so clear now that, you know, the impact Ozu's had on Jarmusch as a filmmaker. Isn't that isn't that interesting? Because he's such a he's such a unique filmmaker in his own right, and he's so you would think he's so far removed from from Ozu, you know, a, a, an old Japanese filmmaker from the from the forties and fifties and stuff like that. Mm. Here we are. But it's like I guess you could call Jarmusch like hipster American Ozu where instead of like about a family and like yeah. you know the daughter choosing the husband she wants to get married it's like we're just gonna have a disc jockey and a pimp in prison together <laughs> yeah yeah or like a weird hotel yeah. the night one night in a weird hotel in Memphis <laughs> like, yeah or you know like Bill Murray films. driving around looking for who wrote him a love letter <laughs> Like, examining his past relationships and things. I need to rewatch Broken oh, we got, Flowers. We got, um... Yeah, I haven't seen that since it came out, actually. A long time ago. Uh, is that in the collection? No, it's one of the few Jarmusch films that isn't in Criterion. There's, like, definitely, like, you know, obviously we've done Down by Law, but then I think coming up soon we've got Night on Earth, Stranger Than Paradise, Mystery Train... Dead Man has now come out, and I think ja- I'm pretty sure Jarmish has confirmed that Ghost Dog is going to be coming out later this year. Oh, rad! Yeah, mm. that would make you very excited. Yep, I'm just waiting for that sweet Patterson edition. I love Patterson. <laughs> cool. Adam Driver is a poet riding bus driver. Come on! <laughs> no story. It's just a week in his life. So lovely. Yeah, it's Ozu as fuck. Right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're so right. Mm. Um, yeah, well, on that note, I guess we'll I'll move on to the actual Criterion edition itself. Um, so it's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc DVD, and it's also available to stream on the Criterion channel. Uh, the special features include an audio commentary by Japanese film expert Donald Ritchie, uh, author of Ozu and 100 Years of Japanese Film. Uh, Ozu's films from behind the scenes, a conversation about Ozu and his working methods between child actor and sound technician Korijo Sumatsu, assistant cameraman Takeshi Kawamata, and Ozu producer Shizo Yamanuchi, as well as a theatrical trailer and the booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Okay. Hmm. It's not, it's not loaded, but... No, uh, but I think I might have to add this one to my uh, Barnes & Noble wish list. <laughs> kind of yeah, round out that trilogy. So, 
Hmm. Rad. All right. Well, what's uh, what's next on the agenda? We have a triple feature, so we're going to bang out uh, four spine numbers in a row with our next episode, Stage and Spectacle, three films by Jean Renoir. So within that box set, we've got The Golden uh, the golden Coach from 1953, French Can Can from 1955, and Alana and Her Men from 1956. Yes, I don't know what to think about this. Uh, it's a lot of film. It's a lot of film. Uh, thankfully, I guess, since we have to watch all in a week, um, that none are over an hour 45 long. So that's a bonus. <laughs> Can't believe it turned into one of those people that bitches about the length of films, but yep. <laughs> um, I mean, you've got to do a trilogy. But it's Renoir, like, no worries. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, you know, especially after, you know, recently watching The Lower Depths and being reacquainted with him, I'm like, yep, all in. Pushing my chips in. I'm ready to go. That's right, yeah. exactly. And and plus, it just means we're we're inching closer to the end of the um, 240s in the spine numbers, which is like a treasure trove of favourites of mine. So, okay, so we'll do a look back soon as well. Yeah, look back will be next episode. So tune in for that, everybody. Uh, but thanks for listening to our discussion on early summer. Um, if you have any comments or queries or anything, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest. Um, otherwise, tune in next week for a Renoir triple feature. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Tom. See you next time.